This is Konzenshu, the podcast, episode 428, for the week of October 8th, 2017. What's up? Welcome back to Konzenshu. The podcast. An extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Konzenshu, biatch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I, need, I, I feel like there needs, be, there needs to be a little bit extra. Okay. Because it's been a while. Sure. Thanks. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. That's right. That's the goal. Yeah, informative, fun, good times. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. We got some real deep cuts for you this episode. Exactly. We are going to the 1990s. Uh, that's Mary over there. How Hi. are ya? I'm good. That's good. Got Mary. Got Mike. That's me. That's Gito EX. We are talking 1990s material. I got, but also recent stuff, just to be clear. Uh, Let's yeah, that's true. Let's proper. That's true. We have a variety hour for you. Hopefully it's not an hour. Da, 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 da. I pitched it as a half hour show. but Yeah, that's how you got me down here. <laughs> we'll see it's how like, that Mary, goes. I have a proposition. Okay. Half hour podcast recording. I'm like, yes, I'm Sounds in. great. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing this episode? I have kind of three mini topics for you. Two of them are going to be before the credits. One of them is going to be a spoiler post-credit sequence. Post-credits? There are credits? The, well, I, we play a song you, at the end of Fades Out. figuratively? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, okay. I do full credits. Uh, associate producer, Heath Oh, Butler. and you're scrolling. Yeah, yeah. it's a podcast. Exactly. How does that work? Don Don plays in the background. There's a scrolling text. It goes on for six minutes too long. They repeat a chorus kind of awkwardly. Two main pre-spoiler topics. One is uh, a little bit of content translation work, but just really cool tidbits that recently went up on Kanzenshu, a little Wait, article. Cool. Site. There is a website too. Thank you, Mary. Uh, a little bit of a translation, a little bit of just cool tidbits there. We're going to talk about Akira Toriyama designing an arcade machine. And then after that, you know, we did those two. I had a great time. We did a couple live streams where we read some of the material that was already on and then would be coming soon to the press archive on Konzenshu. When are we going to do that again? Uh, I would like to soon. I keep saying that, but I I got material. I got plenty. You see, there's just magazines I coming am- every day. Buried in material. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die with this material. Some one of us is gonna die with this material. Yes, unless we make a suicide pact. I don't know. Suicide pact. So what we're we doing here? Got to insure this room. We are going to look at three. Count them three. Not one. Not two. Not quite four. Three English language reviews of three different releases of the first. Dragon Ball movie. The first Dragon Ball movie. Yes, the first Dragon Ball movie. Not my Not your jam. Not my jam. I do enjoy the first Dragon Ball movie. We are going to look at a review of the Harmony Gold dub of the first Dragon Ball movie. of which I have some familiarity. You do. We're going to look at a review of Funimation's original 1995 dub of the first Dragon Ball movie. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to look at a review of Funimation's much later re-released, I guess you would call this a re-re-release, uncut Finally, in the United States, release of Curse of the Blood Rubies, as it is known over here. So a little bit of a trip through time. Or uh, They're all up. Well, actually, the, the final one there is not up on the website. The final one there is from uh, an Otaku USA magazine. A little too recent to include in the press archive on the website. Still an ongoing publication. That's one of my like arbitrary cutoffs for the press archive. Is the magazine still going? Probably ah, too recent to include. So there is a method to the madness. A little bit. Somewhat. 
So those are going to be some fun little pre-spoiler tidbits for this here episode on the show. And then we wanted to share just a little bit. We get so much of the, I need you. I need you. This is what we get. I, not, I want you. I need you. Tell me what you think about the latest episode of Super. And you know how we do it on the show. I like to do the full arc reviews. I don't think it's particularly worthwhile to get individual reactions, individual episodes. I think but, you missed the forest for the trees there. But, but, but. This is the world we live in. This is the world we live in. And we'll concede this one time a little bit of a spoiler cast discussion on the, I guess you call it the one hour special. It's really just two episodes that were aired back to back. People are curious what we think and uh, we'll give you a little bit there. I can see that. The end of the episode. So that is what is on tap for this episode. Let's just get right on into our first topic, Toriyama and Arcade Machines. So I kind of want to hire Toriyama. Yeah. To bit of context. The bit of, well, there's that, but context. So when we bought the place we're living in right now, back in 2009, we thought, okay, cool, we got a basement. We're totally going to buy arcade machines, and we're going to fill up our basement. And that never happened. But then you find this thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, we, we filled up the basement. We did fill up the basement, but not with arcade machines. Right. And now that you found this tidbit, I'm like, let's steal Akira Toriyama, have him come here to the States, and be like, we want you to build our one arcade machine. Yeah. And it has to be Dragon Ball themed, obviously. Do a little bit of interior decorating. It's clearly he's got so much time on his hands. Yeah, he's got plenty of time these days. So, Mary, this is the first. You actually weren't aware that these existed. I did not. How did you find out? Uh, we were just watching a video on YouTube from a Japanese user chronicling the entire history of Dragon Ball games. Except they were wrong. We get a quarter of the way in. And what am I talking about? Actually, this is not right. He forgot this one game from 1994. No, they forgot two games from 1994. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got, I got so, schooled. So when you ask me, how do you know about it? It's one of those things. I've been doing this for so long. It's simply a state of being for me now. <laughs> you just learn. Like, you wake up and you're like, I just learned something I in learned the middle of the night I, by osmosis. Uh, actually, I can tell you where I learned about the Dragon Ball Z arcade fighting games. I learned about them from Electronic Gaming Monthly, oh. and specifically the Arcade Action Column, 1994-1995, uh, they did cover the two fighting games, the traditional fighting games. Actually, they covered all three, as they covered VRVS, VR Versus, uh, in there as well. There are a few sprite-based arcade fighting games for the Dragon Ball franchise in Japan. There is one that's simply called Dragon Ball Z, which is a little confusing because, that well, that's just the name of the series and that's the name of the game. But then the series of games that we got over here is Budokai. Those are simply called Dragon Ball Z, one, two, three, mm -hmm. over in Japan. So there's a couple of games simply called Dragon Ball Z. That makes it very confusing. So you kind of separate it with Dragon Ball Z arcade. Anyway, that's where I first learned about them. Uh, they never got home console ports. We had the Super Butoden series of games that were going on on the Super Famicom at the same time. These were arcade exclusive and these days it's pretty much you just load up MAME and you play yeah. them there. So, And that's where I kind of cut my teeth on them back in the old days, the old emulation days, mm, which emulators. I guess is still these days as well. So they were really gorgeous looking. I think a lot of people have ripped those sprites and used them in like Mugen and other assorted things over the years. The first arcade game is notable for its cabinet, which it turns out was designed by the one and only Akira Toriyama himself. This is a super, super cool, I don't know if it's an expose, but it's it's from, uh, this in particular is from the February 1993 issue of V-Jump, which is, I say in the update, is still actually emblazoned with its full virtual jump title on the cover mm. back when they wanted to tell you what the V 
stood for. It's really cool. It's uh, about a page and a half. It shows Toriyama standing with the final design, but it also has Toriyama's just 2D drawing <laughs> artwork design for the arcade cabinet. It's really cool. It's like a, a traditional Toriyama robot. It's got Noibo sticking out off the side. It's just super cool that the arcade game got a custom design from Toriyama himself. What they talk about in the article here is uh, they designed a prototype initially out of wood, but of course the final version is made out of metal to house the electronics and also so it doesn't fall over. And speaking of falling over, they say that was the one thing that they had to adjust from Toriyama's design. If you look at the feet of Toriyama's design, you can see how it might not be super secure. They made them a little bit wider, a little bit longer, a little bit more sturdy, flatter in the final design so the arcade cabinet would definitely stay upright the whole time. What I loved about this was like, as I'm looking at the page, it just keeps getting better and better. First it's, oh cool, Toriyama has a comment here about a video game. Wait, his comment is about designing the arcade cabinet. Wait, here's a picture of him standing with the final arcade cabinet. Wait, here's a picture of his actual design for the arcade cabinet. This stuff is just wonderful. This is the kind of thing I love that we can do. And as I'm looking more and more through this issue, which Julian picked up while he was over in Japan, and he was there for a long time. I say like while he was over in Japan, as if he didn't live there for an extended period of time. Wait, wait, wait. So how long have we had this or did he have it? He had it for a while and then, you know, he shipped multiple packages over here. It's taken me this long to really just go through everything that he's collected over the years and figure out, all right, why do we have this issue? All right, there's a ton of cool stuff in here. And Julian knows why he bought everything that he bought, but... uh you know, for me, sometimes I'm like, oh, let me just go dig through the issues here. This particular V-Jump issue is filled with so much good stuff. It's got uh, another two-page feature on just the CG commercial being made for the first Super mm-hmm. Butoden game. Like, this stuff is lost to time. And I don't want to say it's our goal, it's our mission, it's our one true purpose in life. But uh, yeah, this stuff is mentioned. It's out there in Japanese fan sites. I haven't seen any mention of Toriyama designing an arcade cabinet and the fact that we have the opportunity, the responsibility even. Oh, yes. <laughs> to talk it's about It's in the bylaws. Stuff. It is. It's in the, the official Konzenshu bylaws, which all four of us have signed. So uh, I just kind of want to bring that to folks' attention. I think that is such a super cool thing that so- he's involved to that degree. Folks can read about this on the site. They can indeed. And there's scans and stuff. Yep. I got pictures of Toriyama standing there with the machine. And uh, and he looks so young. He does. I mean, you think he that he young. doesn't age. No. He's such a young, perverted man back in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, perverted man. <laughs> so again, this is from the February 1993 issue of V-Jump. Got a full article going through everything. And Toriyama's quote is, of course, archived in the translations section of the website. So there you go. That's our first mini topic. We're going to turn it over to our second mini topic. Three reviews of the first Dragon Ball movie. So the first one I'm going to read for you here. This is how we do it. If you haven't been around for those two live streams, I say as if you haven't been around, like we did them recently and it's a regular thing. I don't know. We have a style for it. The first one here comes from the winter 1991 issue of Markalite. I talked about it last time on uh, the show here. I'm so glad that people know they can come to me and say, I found a cool thing. This is definitely up your alley. Here's the section of the site that it belongs to. Wow. Um, I I just love it. So this is from, again, the winter 1991 issue of Markalite. Funimation will not be a company for another three years at this point. Yes. Dragon Ball will not come out from Funimation for another four years at this point. Dragon Ball Z will not come out 
for another five years from Funimation at this point. I love this time in history. So this is a review, not of anything Funimation did, because they did not exist as a company yet. Harmony Gold, y'all. This is indeed a review of Harmony Gold's dub of the first Dragon Ball movie. Mary, one of your early Temple of Trunks claims to fame. They had nothing to do with Trunks, but... I know. Right place, right time, right friends, right tapes, right airings. Oh, right technology to yeah. make it known to the public. I mean, clearly it was documented. Long before, yeah, I just happened to Temple be, of Trunks, be but, right, like you said, right place, right time. Yeah, to get some of that media out there. There mm-hmm. were references, but it was in magazines. It was on Usenet. Uh, websites didn't exist yet, really, in their current form back in 1991. So I'm going to read this review for you here, and uh, we're kind of kind of travel through histories. We go from Harmony Gold to Funimation to Funimation again. Lately, a lot of Japanese animation has been dubbed into English. This is a trend that I'm sure most. Japanime fans like me, welcome. Nevertheless, with the exception of a few standouts like Akira or Megazone 232, why do they go to Megazone 232? What's 232? There's three Megazone 23s, but like, why the second one? Why not the first? Maybe, maybe they're trying to be super cool. Did the first one... Uh... And they say something always gets lost in the translation. Not like I've watched a dub of Megazones. I don't know. Anyway. And thus, for the chance to better understand a particular film or show, we must put up with lame and inadequate translation and or lousy voice acting. They're talking about this in 1991. Happily, I can tell you of one feature that made the transition to English rather nicely. Dragon Ball is a compact and very well put together story about the quest for seven magic Dragon Balls. From the film's prologue, we learn that by gathering all seven of these balls, the finder is granted one wish by the Dragon God. Once done, the seven balls are again scattered until another brave soul is able to find them. The very likable hero of this adventure is Zero, aka Goku or Monkey, a strange little boy-like character sporting a long skinny tail. So let's pause real quick. Yes, Goku was renamed Zero. I love that they say, aka Goku. Goku, clearly they know something about Dragon Ball and that the name was changed. And then they say, or Monkey. I guess the thing I'd reference there is, uh, and I know our buddy Joe Tanuki um, pointed this out as well and asked about this on uh, Twitter when we first posted this. I think the author was probably alluding to the Arthur Whaley translation of Journey to the West, which simply came out as Monkey. Mm. Monkey is the name that anyone in 1991 would know the Wukong character by. Just simply... Just simply monkey. Yeah. So I think that's what they're going for there. He is as brave to face the world outside his own valley as he is naive about it. Zero's most cherished possession is a single magic dragon ball, a gift from his late grandfather. Of course, there are others who want this treasure as well. It is through his accidental meeting with Lena, an attractive and perky freelancer. Freelancer, is that what we're calling her? (laughs) (laughs) Out to snag Zero's dragon ball, that he learns about its true nature and the existence of six others. Until Zero met Lena, he was at peace and blissfully unaware of things not affecting him. But that was to change soon. All was not well in the valley of King Gurumi. Not too bad there. A grotesque what is it supposed to be? Gurumes. Oh, okay. It's on Gourmet. A grotesque Jabba the Hutt-like character who was already out searching for the magic balls so that he may get his one wish to eliminate his all-consuming hunger. Through his henchmen, King Gurumi recovers all the Dragon Balls, including Zero's. Naturally, Zero can't let the king get away with this, so with the aid of the weirdest assortment of allies, Zero goes head-to-head against King Gurumi and his men. In a truly wild climax, the ever-hungry king mutates into a hideously fat salamander creature and chows down on all the Dragon Balls. He meets his end with the last bite, but in the process calls forth the legendary Dragon God. Zero's group's request for peace in the valley is granted, and the seven magic Dragon Balls are scattered, hiding and waiting until Zero and his friends can find them once again. But that's another story. 
I found the English language Dragon Ball movie to be fun and extremely enjoyable. All the great visual sight gags remained intact, but what made the an impression was the sharp, witty dialogue and the character allowed the supporting players. In fact, some of the more clever dialogue comes from these, including Mao Mao, a little pig dressed in Chinese military uniform who has the ability to transform into other animals. There's also Master Roshi, a wise old hermit who likes to wear Ray-Bans and Aloha shirts. He gives Zero his flying Nimbus, a cloud that allows Zero to zip along the skyways. For anti-macho ninja lovers, there's Sataki, a ninja thief for hire who becomes paralyzed with fear every time he's near an attractive woman. Harmony Gold deserves credit for putting this little gem together. Though I'm sure it's no easy thing, it may be easier to translate an action-adventure film because the stress must be on the visuals. But Dragon Ball, which also concentrates on characterization and humor, must have been a more difficult job. The task becomes even more perplexing when you take into account that it's Japanese humor that needs to be successfully translated into humor that we Americans can understand and appreciate. Fortunately for us, Harmony Gold manages to pull it off beautifully. Try to catch this one if you can. It'll be worth it. It is fascinating to me in 2017 to read a review using Zero in earnest because that's what it was at that time. There was also just like the, the willingness to give it the benefit of a doubt without like this jaded fandom mentality that we've got now. I think back then people were just happy to have anything, anything yeah. brought over into English. So if it's even remotely passable... Yeah, it's the best name changes at all, except Master Roshi, apparently. <laughs> well, Master Nimbus Roshi was kind of Master interesting. Roshi, Flying Nimbus, yeah. A lot of that stuff seems to be a combination of scripts that Toei provided at the time, but a lot of Harmony Gold isms. Uh, I think Bleeper even showed up there in the Harmony Gold dub. Some of that stuff carried over into what Funimation did later on. Mau Mau. Mau Mau, indeed. Yeah, Sadaki's weird because you It's change, like, why don't you just keep it Yamcha? Just keep Yamcha. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. So again, that was the Harmony Gold dub of Dragon Ball Movie 1. That was produced, we we're pretty sure, in 1989 and over the next year or so uh, into 91, clearly there. Winter 91, it was real early. That was the beginning of 91, not the end of 91. Uh, had been just airing in test spots, syndication Weekend broadcasts, like, they were trying to use it as a backdoor pilot, really. Dragon Ball Movie 1 and uh, Dragon Ball Movie 3, which is the one that uh, you definitely had there. Mm -hmm. So from 1991 to 1997... We jump here. Oh, I didn't mention the author of that was Mike Kure, apparently. We're going to have two Mikes reviewing Dragon Ball Movie 1 over the course of a few years. Mary, this comes from the January 1997 issue of Animerica, one of your all-time favorite it magazines. Is. So, Mary, I'm going to have you read this review here. Believe it or not, this review was written by the one, the only Mike Tool. Mike Tool? Back in 1997. God, was he like a baby when he was writing for this? <laughs> all right. Everyone was a baby back wow. then. We were all babies. All right, let's see what we got here from January 1997. Wow, I would have been... Do I really want to see how old nope. I was? Okay, then. The prospect of an anime series dubbed and edited for an American children's TV is, now more than ever, a touchy subject for today's demanding otaku. Balanced against the appeal of free anime, fans have often had to contend with bizarre name changes, the obscuring or even destruction of entire plot lines, and the cutting of crucial footage for the least bit of violence or lewd conduct. But despite the inevitable plot alterations and the omission of of 
creator Akira Toriyama's notorious dirty jokes and puns, the enormously popular Dragon Ball animation managed to remain almost completely intact for its American TV debut. As many know, Dragon Ball is Toriyama's own bizarre take on the classic Chinese tale Journey to the West. In actuality, Dragon Ball bears little resemblance to the original story, save for monkey-like main character Son Goku and his extending staff. I'm told that many aspects of the original tale are subtly hinted at, but it's fairly obvious that no effort is being made to be particularly true to it. In Curse of the Blood Rubies, the story begins quite simply. The bloated king of a small country is cursed, unable to satisfy his appetite, and so is doomed to a life of non-stop eating. To keep food stockpiles high, he has his army constantly deployed, harrying the citizens into mining the valuable blood rubies underground. Not only that, the king's soldiers are looking for the Dragon Balls, mystical gemstones which, when all seven are gathered, can call forth the eternal dragon to grant a single wish. Meanwhile, Goku, having finished beating a predatory fish several times his size into submission, is dragging his carcass back to the hut for dinner. Quite literally, he has a run-in with a blue-haired teenage girl. She crashes her car into him. Her name is Bulma, and it turns out that she has built a special radar for locating Dragon Balls, hoping to gather them all and wish for her perfect boyfriend. Impressed with the plucky kid's seemingly indestructibility as well as the fact that he owns one of the balls, she invites him along for the ride. After that, the rest of the supporting cast are introduced at warp speed. After all, it is a pilot movie. Goku and Bulma meet inept desert bandits Yamcha and Poir, quickly followed by the shape-changing pig Oolong, as well as Penny, a little girl who fled the land of the Blood Rubies for help after watching her father being beaten by the soldiers. After meeting Master Roshi and his drawling turtle, the group make a beeline for the kingdom where the rest of the Dragon Balls are located. First of all, the dubbing is absolutely superb. Longtime fans will notice virtually no change in voice characterization from the Japanese. Goku comes across as wide-eyed and innocent, Bulma a gung-ho airhead, Yamcha brash and bashful, Oolong is irritating and cowardly, and Master Roshi is another old man, if not quite so lewd as in the Japanese version. Aside from that, Toriyama's sleek, distinctive, almost cartoony character designs, you'll recognize his style from video RPG Chrono Trigger, make the jump from anime to manga very well. Although I imagine he meant to reverse that. <laughs> There's even new music, although the new theme song leaves a lot to be desired lyrics-wise. Finally, despite the central motif of the Dragon Balls, the story itself is not about wish fulfillment. It's about the dizzy joy of watching Goku gleefully kick the stuffing out of bad guys the size of small buildings and the sheer amusement of seeing Toriyama's bizarre vision of Earth unfold, replete with all of its strange architecture, hilariously out-of-place stereotypes, cowboys and Indians, what? And anthropomorphic animals. All told, Dragon Ball is incredibly entertaining, suitable for the whole family, with a great story and engaging cast of characters. Curse of the Blood Rubies itself is entirely self-contained, making it an excellent way to introduce new fans to Dragon Ball or to anime in general. So we've jumped from Harmony Gold, uh, dubbing the series and distributing it to uh, kind of special syndication broadcast, to Funimation releasing the first Dragon Ball movie uh, in 1995, 1995-96, and eventually when it hits home video, they're reviewing it here at the beginning in 1997. The voice cast is effectively the Ocean Studios cast. Uh, the first Dragon Ball wasn't technically recorded at Ocean Studios itself. It's one of those 
kind of side projects, but it's it's that cast. So we've got Ted Cole as Yamcha. Uh, we have Saffron Henderson as Goku. Ian Corlett, I think, is Roshi at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting how he talks about the characters have come over completely as is. Just as you expect them to be from Japanese. I'm like, yep, that was not a bad voice cast back then. (laughs) (laughs) God, I was all about Ted Cole as Yamcha. I know. You love Ted Cole from Rama. I did. And I just thought like, wow, he's a good Yamcha. (laughs) Uh, I love how he talks about the theme there. The opening theme is Dragon Ball. Mm -mm 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 Yeah. Mm -mm. Again, more glowing praise. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. So again, I don't know how much of it is we're just grateful to have this so we like it or was it genuinely good? It's a combination of everything. It's Dragon Ball finally truly making its mark over here. Here when they're reviewing Dragon Ball Movie 1, we've only had the 13 episodes of Dragon Ball and the first movie here uh, from Funimation in English. Prior to that, it was Harmony Gold. And of course, at the same time, we have uh, the Latin American, Mexican, Spanish dub airing in some places here and there on Telemundo. I'm not entirely sure when that started. And then over the years, obviously, the international channel will come into play. We always love to talk about this time when you could watch the English dub, the Mexican, Spanish dub, and the original Japanese version just on different channels all the same time. I did. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Anything else you want to pull out from uh, Mike's review here at the time? Everyone's kind of doing the formulae thing of just give a little bit of a plot synopsis, touch on the dubbing. We've got high praise here for the Harmony Gold dub, high praise here for Funimation's English dub. I kind of want to watch the movie again. Yeah. Which which version? We can watch three versions, four versions of this movie. Well, it sounds like it was a very good standalone piece of work Yeah, without having to know anything about the show. Right. And the next review we're going to get to talks about that a little bit. Um, Do we want to get into that now? Do you have any other last Um, tidbits you want to pull out? No, I don't. Do you? No, I'm good. So before I read the third review, I just want to talk about the the weirdness of time with the Funimation re-release of Dragon Ball Movie 1 later in 2010. So we've gone from a review in 1991 to a review in 1997. We would not get Dragon Ball Movie 1 released uncut bilingual in America until 2010. That's insanity holy, to holy me. Holy moly. Before we get to the review, I just want to talk about this because we had some weird stuff going on. Funimation re-released the Dragon Ball TV series. Those were the blue bricks. And as a part of that, they redubbed the first 13 episodes finally uncut in English uh, and that came out bilingually and then we had Dragon Ball Movie 2 which was one of those in-between things that was actually the first thing Funimation did in-house between the Saban days and then DBZ Season 3 in 99 Uh, In 98, they did Sleeping Princess and Devil's Castle. So we had Dragon Ball Movie 2. And then somewhere along the way, they decided to do the third Dragon Ball movie. We got that released, Mystical Adventure. Uh, And then they did the Path to Power, the 10th anniversary movie at some point along the way as well. Just while they're doing Dragon Ball and GT and Z. Now they're just kind of wrapping up all their loose ends. But Dragon Ball Movie 1 was this outlier of clearly you have the license for this because you've had the license for it. But that was also wrapped up in... Not Pioneer, but the Kidmark, Trimark, Lionsgate, I don't want to call it a fiasco, but <laughs> those shenanigans that they finally resolved as they released the entirety of the TV series. The movie was a weird thing. So then in April 2010, Otaku USA published a review of a re-release of Dragon Ball Movie 1. And at the same time, there were listings getting out there. I think Right Stuff was the main offender that had a listing for the movie. So everyone's like, oh, Awesome. This is clearly coming out. But as we get into the review, you're going to hear like, wait, that doesn't sound like the product that came out. It sounds like at the time, Funimation was planning on simply releasing a DVD with 
the old version that they did from the 95 dub alongside the original Japanese version. So there would be no uncut English dub. There would just be the old edited dub you could watch on the disc and or the original Japanese version. So let's get into the review here. This is from the June 2010 issue again of Otaku USA that came out in April. This is the way magazines are, you know, kind of published ahead of time. So we go from a review written by Mike Toole to a review written by Daryl Surratt awesome. over in Otaku USA. The first Dragon Ball movie, 1986's The Legend of Shenlong, was first released in the US in an edited dub-only form with other show footage spliced in. For the first time ever in America, we're actually getting this movie uncut. Of course, like many of the Shonen Jump franchise movies, it's a movie that's not even an hour long since these tend to be released as double features. Story-wise, Curse of the Blood Rubies is effectively a compressed-down retelling of the first 13 episodes of the original Dragon Ball. Monkey-tailed child martial artist Goku is on his quest to collect the seven Dragon Balls, which, when combined, will call forth the Chinese dragon Shenlong, which has the power to grant the wishes of whoever summoned it. Along the way, he meets a girl Adventurer Bulma, the bandit Yamcha, shapeshifting talking animals along the bar, Lazarus Little Kung Fu Master Roshi, or Kami Senin if you prefer, who bestows Goku with the flying Nimbus Cloud and teaches him the series trademark Kamehameha Power Beam technique. They encounter a variety of bad guys along the way fight them, and win. Only, instead of Emperor Pilaf, like it was in the TV show, this time it's a really gross fat dude who likes to eat rubies. Mm. With such a short running time, it all goes by pretty fast. Unlike the other Funimation re-releases of the original series, they didn't actually redub this movie using their own actors. As was the case with the original 1990s syndicated run of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, this English dub was done by Ocean Group out in Vancouver. Despite having a mostly decent track record when it comes to providing English voiceovers for video games and original animation, for over 20 20 years, Ocean Group's anime dubbing work has ranged from mediocre at best to awful at worst. I can't think of a single Ocean Group dub I consider genuinely good, and am convinced that anyone who claims otherwise is doing so from a purely nostalgia-based, this is the way I first saw the show, and that made me an anime fan perspective. <laughs> shade thrown at Mary right there. Oh, snap. <laughs> the shade. While the most recent work on stuff like Death Note and Black Lagoon, despite being generally praised, strikes me as so-so. The only reason anyone ever used them was because, at the time, dubbing in Canada was cheap. I estimate the exchange rate for US dollars to Canadian money was probably a little bit better than the exchange rate for the US dollars to Monopoly money. The dub is fine, but you probably want to just stick with the Japanese. Ultimately, Dragon Ball Curse of the Blood Rubies is for die-hard fans, only who have been waiting all this time to finally have an uncut copy of the very first movie in order to complete their sets. If you wanted to quickly introduce someone to the series in a fairly short time frame, I remind you this isn't exactly the only Dragon Ball movie to cover this material. The 10th anniversary film, The Path to Power, included as part of Funimation's Dragon Ball Movie Box 3-pack, has substantially nicer animation and tells more of the story. Show them that one instead. So a couple points here. So this is a very ahead of time review being published in Otaku USA, and the movie was actually delayed that year. Mm. So my conspiracy theory is, as Daryl talks about in the review here, the movie was clearly supposed to be just the old dub on one video track and the original Japanese version on another video track. And the video trailer that came out somewhere along that time frame didn't actually note if it was going to have an uncut dub on it. So that just kind of adds more fuel to my conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory <laughs> that they weren't really going to go through with it. Uh, but they did in the end. It ended up having a completely uncut, all new dub recorded for it with Colleen Clinkenbeard, I think is her name, uh, taking over as Goku. She did Gohan and the Dragon Ball Kai dub uh, alongside the original Japanese version, fully uncut there. So we have these three reviews, 91, 97, 2010. It took us that long to get in this country from two different companies, so many different licensing scenarios to finally get this version 
of the movie Uncut. What are some of the themes that you saw kind of in place from each of the reviews? It's like an overview of the movie, of course. Yeah, a lot of it kind of stemmed from can you consume this on its own? Right, right. Um, either I mean, as the a movie- longtime fan or, or a new fan coming into it. It was interesting how when we get to the third one, it was this is only for diehard people, whereas right. the first two were very much, oh, anyone can watch this. Right, because at that point, we did not have the 10th anniversary movie. In 1991, the 10th anniversary movie didn't exist yet. So like, that's, that doesn't even come into play. So I think it's just an issue of timing. Like yeah, the yeah. first two, it was, we don't have enough here. So right. let's consume what we got. Mm-hmm. Whereas by the time the third one came around, I mean, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z oversaturation for the win. Woo! Yeah, that, that so, was total oversaturation Like this is just time. like, yeah, you can watch this like if you feel like it. Yeah, I think Daryl's totally right there back in 2010 that at this point, if you want this movie, you probably want a complete collection. You've been around long enough. You've been around the block. You know, you just want to add this in so you can say, I finally have all in quotes of Dragon Ball released uncut over here. I have it on DVD. And I think that's a pretty fair point. I think it's interesting how all of them get into conversations about dubbing. Uh, I think it's interesting how only Daryl at this point is the one who wants to get into uh, genuine criticism of the Ocean Studios cast. In 1997, they were the bee's knees, weren't they? 97 may have been a little late. A little late for them even, yeah. Yeah. Any other takeaways? I, I just love the history part of this. I mean, ultimately, what's fascinating is that the movie itself does not change. Right. The dub does not change. Not, but not here substantially, we are in yeah. different points of time. I mean, not so much the first two. The first two are pretty similar in its assessment of this as a product, but the, the third one was just so radically different despite it being the same thing. Right. Well, I mean, that's the point of a review. A review is a snapshot in time. A review is never going to be exactly the same one year, two years, five years, ten years. That's actually why I've enjoyed, um, with the JSAT special in particular, we did our five-year look at that. Pretty soon, we're going to be able to next year we're going to be able oh, to do God. our 10 year look back Jesus. at the jump super animator special which is crazy wait we can do a five-year look at battle of gods now do we do a five-year look at battle next year oh my god battle of gods is going to be five years old next year but that's my point <laughs> is that a review is that snapshot in time and it's important to capture that snapshot and again i like doing because no one else is going to do it and i have all the stuff so do the I'm, dirty work i might man. as well do it and i love the people know to come to me and say i found a review from 1991 why don't you put it on your website and i'm like yeah of course i will thank you that's that's where i'm going with this. i'm also a fan of Daryl Surratt and Mike Tool, so right, that so kind of works out. I love being able to talk about their work on the show here. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So that's uh, a little bit of a sneak preview at what we did on two prior live streams where we looked at, uh, we read, a, not the entirety of, little snippets from some of the stuff up in the press archive. I guess I can describe the press archive if you don't know. I like to talk about it as a complement to the translation section, whereas the translation section is articles, interviews, Q&As, reviews from original Japanese source material, the press archive, is the other side of that. It's right now just English language uh, commentary, reviews, articles, or reviews, features that have appeared in primarily magazines. The plan is to expand that. I have newspaper articles already transcribed. They're down the road. I'm getting to that stuff. When you're retired. Yeah, maybe even TV coverage. I mean, there's so much stuff. I think it's important to show fandom in time. There have been so many conversations 
lately where people are just in disbelief and dare I say indignant over the fact that there were fans that came before them. There were fans that came before you and I. Yeah. And I think it's important to acknowledge that to not not revere it, but hold it in high regard because they were trailblazing and doing a lot of important stuff that I think sets the stage for what I wanted to do with the website many years later. There's that. That's the Press Archive. Check it out on Konzenchu. We are going to bring the main part of the episode to a close here. Stick around. We're going to have a little bit of a chat about the one hour special, some of the content there, just some off the cuff remarks. So if you're interested in that, stick around. Mary. My goo. Temple O'Trunks remains on the internet. It's you true. got a really nice email. I did. I forwarded it to you today because it kind of reminded me, oh, this is why I keep my site online despite not having updated it in a decade or however long it's been. I don't remember. But yes, you can find uh, an old relic of the 90s and early 2000s at www.templeoftrunks.com. It is a Trunks fan site and humor site media. Now, what uh, is a fan site? A fan site? I don't. No, because I don't know how to put it in the context of whatever the hell exists today. I, I don't think people make fan sites anymore. I don't think so either. I, I mean, Konzenshu is one thing. It's like, obviously, I know what news is. I know what articles are. People like, oh, maybe that's a blog. Like, they can put that kind of category onto it. But when I think of Temple of Trunks, and I think of, uh, what was the 17 site? The big one. Oh, uh, Genago's. Uh, Temple. And also the word Temple in it, yeah. I thought. There were sites that were simply dedicated to a characters. Character. And they would be, yeah, a collection of sounds and images but also just funny stories, and you would branch out and do other and things. Obviously, fanfics, fanfics, the feature films that you with would the do action as well, figures, the action figures. Yeah, fan sites. I'm moderately convinced that for that you may have done more traffic on Temple of Trunks back then than we continue to do now as Konzenshu. Maybe, but Maybe. you don't. You don't tell me what your numbers are. No, that's top secret, classified information. <laughs> I could just go on your Google Analytics. I look, suppose you could do, but that. I don't care enough. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, YouTube is really big right now. Mm-hmm. I think fan sites may have been bigger than than YouTube is now in certain ways. So we were just basically born at the wrong time. Yeah. Or maybe we were born at the right time. I don't know. Yeah, we get all that out of our system. I think there's a discussion to be had at some point. We've talked about this little bits and pieces. I want to talk about character shrines in particular. I guess we'll get Ryan. We'll get some other people. We'll, yeah, I mean. We'll talk about character shrines. I forget a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm so far removed from it at this point. It's hard for me to remember. It's like, weird. What was I thinking at the time other than I wanted to just go all out and I loved the thrill of getting emails from people and how timely going on AOL Instant Messenger and seeing my yep. screen blow up with yep. I like, oh my God, Mary, I love your side. Like, not going to lie, it was like the hell of an ego stroke seeing my screen yeah. blow up. We'll talk about old fan sites again. We can just, That'll be a topic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but we'll do it again. We'll just keep repeating ourselves because I get younger people that message us after those topics and say, I wasn't around for that. Talk more about it because I get to live vicariously through you old people. So, oh my god and the weird thing is i don't feel old i know i'm older than you anyway i was getting at the fact that you ran a website yeah those are your it was credentials all about trunks. my credentials are awesome they're still on the internet even. my credentials are the shit uh temple o-trunks thank you mary uh i have been mike vegito ex i'm one of those four dudes that runs kanzenshu www.kanzenshu.com that is kanzenshu look for us on the website look for us on all the social medias we are there for you so that's going to bring the regular episode to a close again stick around if you want some Spoiler talk, we will Spoilerific.
Mary, like I said, uh, we like to save the ARC reviews for being actually ARC reviews. <laughs> but now we're just going to be cool and timely. Yeah. Because we want the fresh hot takes. Right. Uh, I, I think there's something important to say in that initial time right after it that that just gut reaction to something I, I think says a lot. Uh, and it can be very different from when cooler heads prevail later on down the road. So at this point, we've only watched the new... It's a one-hour special, but it's again, it's really two episodes, but they went all out on really the one episode of the two. Uh, it was an event. So let's talk about it a little bit. So we have a new form for Goku. We have him finally fighting Jiren. Uh, you have not really been watching Dragon Ball Super. I mean, I have been, but with the... No, with, no, 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 with... Let me... All right. Make all right. my own damn statement. So, Excuse me. I'm going to mansplain what you've been oh, doing. Oh, yeah. You were about to mansplain me and I was about to come over at that desk and throttle you. It was going to be epic. I also got a beer bottle. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so I'm not a huge fan of tournaments and I've that's no surprise. That's not news. I love the characters. And when there's a cool character moment going on, I will pay attention. But when it's just a straight up fighting, I'm sitting on the couch half watching. I'm playing video games. I'm doing something else. So, yeah, once the Trunks arc was over and this arc started, I just, I don't see any real threat other than, like, okay, yeah, your universes are going to be erased, but no one seems to give a shit, so why should I? Mm. So I don't. I mean, they sort of gave a shit for a little bit. Is it the, but this is tough in Dragon Ball because we've always had no real danger. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I figure when the big moments will make themselves known, I will figure it out and I will watch. Yeah. So were you looking forward to a big moment or yeah i mean i think we'll get into this a bit more but jiren's not remotely interesting i I don't care about a new form yeah but what i do care about production values sure i care about direction Yeah, yeah, yeah i care about awesome set pieces and choreography so for superficial reasons i give a shit because and again we'll get into this it's 2017 and i want to see what they can do yeah with the technology available to them totally get it well let's start with jiren i am I don't want to say very public, but I don't beat around the bush. He is completely uninteresting. Hit was also uninteresting, but they slowly did stuff with him. Jiren is simply there to be strong and to be the wall that Goku can't surpass. And I think that can be interesting in and of itself. Uh, Cypher on our forum had a really good description of that. Like, we haven't had that before where he's not evil he's not good like yeah he's a superhero with topo and the other guys but we've actually seen the other guys go do superhero stuff mm-hmm. where they're on their home planet uh one was saving a cat from a tree I right, think right, at right. Some point. so do you uh, think jiren was enlisted solely for the fact that he's like super strong not necessarily that he is well, like, that's the thing. i'm a do-gooder i don't even care about the underlying reasons for why he's a part of the pride troopers he- he's literally nothing He's got dead gray alien eyes. (laughs) Dead gray alien skin. Right. I mean, he's supposed to be just a foreign alien. I get that. And yeah, he is that barrier. And I guess that's interesting. That This is what I'm getting at that uh, I thought was really, um, I think Cypher described a lot better on our forum. Like, we haven't had the simply a force of power that Goku can't overcome. It's been a master. It's been a super villain like Demon King Piccolo uh, or Vegeta, where they they were just like hand to hand, crazy combat, giant blasts. They're both lying there like half dead on the ground. Jiren is simply you can't touch him until it gets to this point. And like, okay, but, but what that, reason 
Uh, uh, my problem like, is like I have zero reason to believe that or buy into it. What has he done that's so special? So you're <laughs> you're looking for the power justification? For no, Jerry? no, not not per se. No, I mean purely even from like a story standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Like, I hear people say he's strong. Is all. Mm, yeah, and yeah. like okay, so okay, great, yeah. So so is like tension on over there is strong. But he's not Jiren strong. And again, I don't. I know it's coming off as like I'm talking about power levels. It's not yeah, yeah. what I'm. I mean, that's interesting. I'm talking about sheer terror. Yeah, that yeah. is being instilled in the hearts of observers. Mm-hmm. I feel so, like it's not warranted. Okay, yeah. it's really, really hard to put into words how just the amount of disinterest I have from Jiren has been putting me off of this. Well, because you know he is solely he he solely exists we know his shtick. for the purpose of fighting Goku. Yeah. That's yeah. the only reason I, why he exists. And what makes him different from Hit then? And even Hit wasn't well, that interesting Well, he was boring as me. fuck, too. It was boring as fuck. But I think at least at that point we had, all right, he's an assassin. He was off to the sidelines. He wasn't interested. But sometimes he got interested. Like, he would lift his head and Goku would, like, try to coax something out of him. And he's been doing that with Jiren, too. He's been trying to get his attention as well. But there was just, there was a 1% more out of Hit that didn't make me, not that I dislike either of them, but I had, I don't know what it is, a 1% more interest in Hit than I had in Jiren. That's saying a lot. And that is saying a lot. Like, there's just nothing. And obviously, after that tournament, we got more out of Hit. Well, maybe uh, that's why you're retroactively feeling better about Hit yeah. because of that episode after Right. So is it going to be that in time? Well, I hope we get more out of Jiren. That's my worry is that there's not going to be more to Jiren. I'd be cool if there was a villain that never came back. Well, he's not even really a villain or is he uh, going to okay. be a villain? Antagonist? I don't I don't really want to get into the what ifs either here. Me neither. Sorry about that, that. Yeah, that stuff doesn't really interest me. Obviously, I'm just going to learn about it later. Why bother theorizing? But Jiren's really been putting me off. Let's talk about transformations then, because Battle of Gods was made in a bubble. We're going to make an awesome new movie. It's going to have tons of production values. It's going to be super cool. It's probably going to be a one-off thing. If we get another movie out of it, great. Well, we got another movie out of it. And well, if it's going to be a new movie and it's going to be huge, it's going to be international, I guess we're going to make a new transformation out of it. Then Super comes along. We have no plan for Super, but we're making a new TV series. I guess let's retell those movies. So we've got two transformations. And well, logically, the next thing we got to do is power up Goku again. And I guess it's got to be a new transformation. I definitely have transformation fatigue more so than ever before, but I don't dislike any of them at the same time. It's super weird. I agree with you, and I'm glad that in terms of this latest transformation, I, I, I made a conscious effort to be even less online than I normally am because <laughs> I wanted to just enjoy it for the moment and yeah. not the buildup, and I didn't know what to expect, but from a visual standpoint, I was like, fuck yeah. I mean, they made it look nice. My worry is... Dragon Ball Z episode 95 looked great. Dragon Ball Z episode 96 looked terrible. Is the next episode of Super with Goku in his form going to look terrible and kind of like wipe that gorgeousness from our minds? Like I have a little bit of a concern about that. Uh, I think it's neat how we're, we're getting a little bit of payoff from some of the things that Whis has been saying all along, which is stop dropping your guard. Like that was the entire point of 
the Frieza movie, which is stop dropping your guard, actually pay attention. And now we're getting into the, you need to let your body react. You need like, stop thinking so hard. Let your body just attack. I think that's good that we're getting into that stuff. So I'm interested to see where that goes from here. Or am I? Because I guess at this point, all right, he's stronger now. Now we're at that point where Goku rebounds and takes him out. Except, well, he got injured, so he hasn't fully mastered it yet. So I don't know where it's going to go. And my interest level is kind of like up and down all over the place on that. I know. I agree with you. What I took away from it was more of like singular seconds long moments yeah it was definitely moments <laughs> that was the standout thing here. that's cool though i feel like i haven't experienced that in a while yeah we had a couple awesome moments of blissful animation in the trunks arc stuff like vegito fighting uh zamasu there i mean those were gorgeous animation moments this was was not a tv special but it effectively was a tv special so we get a lot of that stuff here i mean those swirling moments and the choreography with just how he was eyes. reacting his eyes just that look of determination uh in his eyes uh i saw a lot of commentary on when he first breaks back out and he takes that step like his his footstep isn't solid like he kind of his foot falls back a little bit at first and then he steps forward and then the heat like dissipates from in front of him and he's already in front of Jiren. Those touches, I think that's what you're looking for. Like details. That's what Dragon Ball should be in 2017. It's like deeper than you. Not, no, I'm not going to say deeper because I don't want to give it too much credit because yeah. it's still a kid's show. Just like those little extra. If you're paying attention enough, you'll be like, holy crap that was amazing beyond just okay yeah we're gonna make a cool strong guy yeah just like a little nugget that you can kind of read into if you felt like it Mm. i really don't know what else to say my gut reaction is man that looked awesome i had a really fun time watching it there are the occasional cool things about this tournament overall i'm not really that invested in it though agreed isn't it enough though to say we had a fun time watching it yeah, I, I think that's really all I can ask for <laughs> at this point is I had a fun half hour once a week with, with characters. I, I think the show can still aspire to more. I wonder what... This is the thing that we're either never going to know or we're not going to know for another 20, 30 years when someone comes out with the tell-all. <laughs> is Clearly, there's an underlying story that Toriyama has delivered. Clearly, that's going in two slightly different directions between the manga and the TV series. I want to know what Toriyama could have produced from his own vision. Like That's the story that I would have been so invested in. Well, what if this is not Toriyama? We don't know. Uh, I mean, clearly we saw the huge differences in the Trunks arc of the manga, especially towards the end of it. And uh, I don't think you read the, the latest chapter of the manga, which is only just now starting the universe survival arc in the manga. It's entirely different. The uh, exhibition match isn't with Goku yet. It's with Beerus and the other gods of destruction. Like it's entirely different. So who knows what direction that's going to go in. But then we have this, well, I get two different versions of the same underlying story. That's kind of neat. You can kind of pick and choose which things you like the most. We have a long ways to go before the manga version gets to what we just got mm -hmm. here. So I kind of don't know what else to say about this episode. Like you said, we had a good time watching it. I will say this looked there, gorgeous. There were little there were literally um two or three moments where I said out loud like wow or oh my god. Right, right. Which I don't do anymore. <laughs> And clearly it can't be like that every week. We, yeah, we but then it, it wouldn't be. be special. It wouldn't be special. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If you 
think of yourself as a listener right now. You heard us talking about this for a little bit. What do you think your takeaway would be? I don't even know how I would read myself talking about this. Does it sound like we liked her? Does it sound like we were disappointed in it? I don't what do you think. I don't think we were disappointed. I know I walked away from it liking it more than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely for you because you've been so half tuned out of this well, stuff. Well, also, I didn't want to get my hopes up, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, sure. I did not want to get my hopes up. So go into it with no expectations and see where you net out. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, I was talking about this a little bit on the forum recently, but Sumitomo's musical score has definitely amped up a bit. It still doesn't feel like Dragon Ball to me, though. It just feels like a traditional sweeping Hollywood orchestral score at times. And it's just not doing it for me in that regard. And I I can't fault it for what it's it, it can't be. Like, I guess in 2017, we can't have Kikuchi scoring new Dragon Ball materials, much as I wish we could have that. But yeah. that that's definitely a letdown for me, is that I think if it had that influence there, man, that would just be pulling me in so much more. I'm super conflicted over this entire arc, and the special didn't change much about that, despite I think I was just in awe of what I saw on screen a little more than I usually am. I think that's good enough. Okay, well, we're going to leave it there. That was, I don't know what that was. but <laughs> Not quite a review, more of a reaction. Yeah, we had a little reaction to get out there. So that'll wrap it up for reals. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Mike. All right, see you, everyone. Bye. And then after that, we are going, what was the other bit? All right. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs>